to be part of the sand of baseball history. Just how does it feel when you realize that this is just the second World Series no-no? Yeah, I really don't give a <laughs> No, move on tomorrow. That's cool. We'll be in the history books, I guess. Yes, Kyle Schwarber, you will indeed be in the history books, you and the rest of the Philadelphia Phillies. No hit by four Houston Astros pitchers. It is Blair and Barker. Charlie Manuel, former manager of the Phillies, who was the manager when Roy Halladay threw his postseason no-hitter, will join us in a few minutes. Jeff Passon as well. Barker, let's get right to it. So I'm flipping around watching coverage of the uh, game, and I got Sportsnet, and I got got the Fox guys on. I'm flipping back and forth. Going into the sixth inning, John Smoltz is on, and he's talking about, you know what's remarkable about this so far is we got nine strikeouts and three fly ball outs, and I haven't even hit a ball on the ground yet against Christian Javier. Of course, Brandon Marsh, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, all ground out one, two, three in the sixth inning. Then... Brian Abreu comes in and strikes out three Phillies. Like, the, the reason I'm mentioning that is if you played the game, what were you seeing from Christian Javier? Because it really did seem as if it was one of those nights where he had everything working. It was one of those nights where, you know, the Phillies just, they didn't have an answer for anything. You know, striking out, okay, he's doing that. But we know he's a fly ball hitter. He'd give him pretty weak contact and fly balls. And then at the end, finishing it out, he gets three ground ball outs. Yeah, Very well, efficient. absolutely. Well, he threw 97 pitches. 70 of those were four seamers. That, that, that's all you need to know. He faced Bryce Harper two times. He threw him nine pitches. All nine were fastballs. Mm. That, that, that right there is all you need to know about the confidence, about what he was reading, what uh, the catcher, the the dugout was absolutely was reading about what what was going on and how how the deception and in his wind up out of the stretch uh you could tell it's very hard to pick up he's got tremendous backspin on the baseball uh it's got late giddy up to it you know it looks it's got that uh, rise to it you could tell by guys that are, are swinging under it a lot you could tell a lot of the fly balls what he had he had uh he, he had 27 foul balls yesterday that, that's that's a lot of fouls balls when you're swinging it at four you have 41 swings and 27 of those are foul balls that's a lot so that could tell you it's got some late giddy up to it the guys are, are having to cheat castiano said that after the game that you're having to cheat and then he throws you the slider and then you're out in front you have weird off balance swings and that's what it is you have to be really good with your top hand if you're not good with your top hand trying to hit the top part of the baseball you foul a bunch of balls off you swing and miss and before you know it you look up it's a sixth inning already and you don't have any hits i wanted to ask you that because much was made of the rising fastball and you know there was a breakdown again on fox of his delivery and is there such a thing, and they called it an invisible, is there such a thing as a rising fastball? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot. I think a lot of that is, too, that he has a tremendous deception in his windup. He's very hard to pick up for whatever reason. You know, it's, it's you let the hitter a lot of the times tell you how good a guy is mm-hmm. standing on the mound. I mean, he's, he averaged 93.4 miles an hour last night on his four-seamer. That's not hard. Like, yeah, I think he touched 96 a couple of times when he needed it. He might have trying to overthrow against certain guys. But he was consistently at 93.4 miles an hour. It's not a hard 
fastball this time of this in in this era, right? So yep. for him to be able to throw ninety three to a bunch of really good fastball hitters and continue to throw it, that's why I mentioned the two at best, Rice Harper. They threw nine pitches and all nine were fastballs. When you throw ninety three, you got to have confidence location. You got to have confidence that your catcher knows he's putting the finger down. You have enough deception, backspin that they just, for whatever reason, can't hit it. And, yes, there is something to that. I, but I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it is he hides the baseball. You see it late. He has three-quarter arm slot. Uh, he has that so he can repeat the backspin. You know, to get that much backspin on a baseball, I think his spin rate is somewhere close to 2,400. I mean, that's, that's, re- that's really good. I mean, it's not elite, but that's really good, right? He gets you enough. But to have that three-quarter arm slot, he's got to repeat uh, release point over and over and over again to get that illusion that it has the backspin where you're getting guys to swing under it. So his mechanics were very sound. You could tell he the moment's just not just just not relevant. Like it's just means nothing to him. He's basically looked like he's playing catch out there. You get the sign, you throw it. You get the sign, you throw it. Like there's no crowd involved. There's you know everything that goes into being a really good pitcher in in game four of a World Series. He sort of eliminated all that, and he's tunnel. You can tell he was he was locked in with the tunnel part of it, right? It's just me and you. I see your target. Give you know, give the catcher credit too. He would set up early enough that you know you take all the guesswork out of it. When you throw seventy fastballs out of ninety-seven pitches, I mean that's about as here it comes. See if you can hit it as you can mm. get. So it's pretty cool to watch. It was interesting hearing you talk about uh, Christian Vasquez. One of the comments Christian Vasquez, the catcher, made after the game, he talked specifically about reading bats and about that being one of the reasons that they kept going with the fastball. They could, exactly as you pointed out, you could tell that they were there wasn't a high degree of comfort facing him. And, you know, look, 5 nothing. The series is now tied up two games apiece. I don't know what's harder to come back from, Kevin. A game where you get your ass handed to you because you've given up five home runs or a game where you get your ass handed to you because the team combined on a no-hitter. Now, this is what makes this series, and, and, and I think Dusty Baker talked about this, this is what makes this series so fascinating to me is we've seen opposite ends of the spectrum here. We've seen teams bludgeon other teams offensively. We've seen a team win a game by shutting down a team with a no-hitter. It, it really has been. This has been, this is kind of, this reflects the whole baseball season, I think, this World Series. This is kind of what the game's about now. Yeah, it is, but I think Kyle Schwarber said it right. I'm not going to say the word he said, but I don't think you care. You, you move on, you face a really good pitcher who was dominating. Oh, it's a loss. Yeah. Who cares? Like, you, you, a loss is a loss, right? If you, you know, you probably don't want to get no-hit in a World Series because you will be remembered about that. But you're, there is tomorrow. You know the series is tied. It's a, it's a clean slate now. It's the best out of three, and that's I, I I just think it is for me. It's sort of the unknowns. What what's Noah Syndergaard going to give you? What's mm. Jer, Justin Verlander going to look like? Is the tempo going to get better? You know, it just looks to me like the starts that he's bad in. He's in a hurry all the time. Like it's just odd for a first ballot Hall of Famer to look like that. He's never going to tell you what he's been working on, but he's been telling everybody that he's working on something. I mean, just. 
by watching him, you would think it would be slowing that down and, and not trying too much. You know, when you don't turn around and see the velocity that you want to see, is it going to get quicker? You don't see the break on the breaking ball. Does that matter? Is that going to, you know, he'll take a deep breath and exhale and just stay within himself and let the mechanics take over to where it breaks and goes where you want it to go. So I think it's more important that the two guys stand on the mound than it is coming back from anything. And if you're the Phillies, you've had confidence in coming back against Verlander, right? He's He does have some kryptonite. If you if you swing at a good pitch because you're a good lineup, you'll have some chances. It's It's been a good World Series. I'm very surprised. You know, it's it's looking like maybe that you might win this, saying it's going to end in six. I think it now probably looks like it's going to go seven. Me saying it's going to end in five, that was wishful thinking. But it's been a really good series. Uh and this is two really good teams who are trying to figure it out on the fly here. And maybe, I hate to say it, it's going to come down to the manager making the right move at the right time. And that could mean Dusty Baker may have to take out a first ballot Hall of Famer sooner than he wants to. Well, this is the this will be the big question going into this game, of course, is, you know, first of all, we've talked about Game 7, if there is a possibility. Uh, right now, the indications are that it would be Lance McCullers getting the ball at home where he's a better pitcher than he is on the road. And Christian Javier, Dusty Baker said yesterday, uh, probably good enough for two or three two or three innings. And certainly Christian Javier's come out of the bullpen. We've seen, he's no, we've, we've seen, that, we've seen that before with him. Uh, but I wonder, Kevin, this, this is you, you hit the nail on the head with, with game five coming up. This is going to come down to, to my way of thinking. Does Dusty does Dusty have the quick hook? Uh, uh, you know, with, with, with Justin Verlander. If it's me, Kevin, I'm letting him go unless he implodes. He's doing twice through the order. I'm not letting him see the Phillies a third time. I'm just not. And if that means I have to take him out, uh, you know, if the game is one nothing or something like that, and he's, I, I'm taking him out. I'm not letting him see the top of that order three times. That's just me. I don't know how you feel, but that's just me. Yeah, uh, the the what you're seeing is going to be important. Uh, that may be a way to go because you do have some guys in the bullpen or rested, and it's a, sort of all hands on deck. I do think this is a must win for the Phillies to think that the Phillies can go on the road and minute made and win two games there. I mean, that might be a lot to ask. So you're thinking well, you're getting Framber Valdez. So I mean, you, you win tonight uh, would be a good idea. Yeah, it's not going to help either, right? So yeah, you're thinking Rob Thompson's going to have a quick hook, send a guard. You you know your Alvarado. What's he going to give you through 26 or 22 pitches? He faced six batters. Can he throw tonight? I'm sure it's it's all hands on deck, but that'll be an intriguing thing too. You know that meat of the order where he normally comes in, like he did last night in the fifth inning. There, can mm-hmm. you still go to him because he threw 22 pitches? So, be interesting to see how all this plays out. What'd you see from Alvarado last night? And and uh, let me flip that question on its head a little bit. What did you see from the Astros and their approach against him? Especially a guy like like Bregman's hit to me was the one that. That's the one that kind of opened the game. Yeah, no what question. did you see from Alvarado? Well, I mean, this is sort of what you get, the good and the bad. When he's good, he's throwing strikes. When he's bad, he's wild. And I think coming in with the bases loaded, nobody else, not the easiest thing for anybody to do. You got a, a stuff guy. You ain't got a location guy coming in. And Rob Thompson mentioned that. He said it was not – he did say – he admitted it was not ideal, bases loaded. Yeah, but he's one of your best guys. And that's yep. sort of the, the, the little lane that they want to throw him in is the meat of the order normally starts the big boy hitting third because he's left-handed. 
And Bregman, look, Bregman's made adjustments. You heard about him in batting practice trying to hit everything to right field, let the ball travel, stay through it, use your top hand. He's a big top hand guy. That's why you see the weird little how he starts his stance where the elbow's in the air and he's got his top hand sort of like he's going to punch the baseball. That just tells you make sure you use your top hand, stay through the ball, level out your swing so you can hit balls to all parts of the field and you can catch up the velocity and this is what did you say on the road you need really good starting pitching that allows you to have the big inning and that's exactly what happened it'd be intriguing to see if verlander verlander's doing a lot of talking which is odd right he's always Mm -hmm. talking especially now that he's been in the playoffs he's done some bad things he's talking about what he's not doing what he's trying to do what he's trying to fix he's obviously not going to tell you but he's actually talking about it right he's talking about the woes that he's had in the world series usually when you think long you think wrong so it just will be interesting to see if if he throws a couple of bad breaking balls, if he throws a fastball down the middle and somebody hits it hard, what's the Verlander going to look like? Is it going to be the hall, the first ballot Hall of Famer where he just, I'm so good, I'm not worrying about that, I'm going to move on to the next hitter? Or is it going to fester, it's going to get bad, and then it's going to turn it over to Dusty, and we all know how sometimes it looks when Dusty gets involved. So. A couple, you know, a couple of different things working here that you're going to have to end game look at and follow along with. Bit of a gamble, but we talked about this with Brad Lidge, and, and I think we may have talked. I'm sorry, we talked about it with Jeff Blum the other day. If you're Dusty, is Christian Vasquez in the game today, DHing with Maldonado behind the plate? You sure think so? I mean, Ledmus Diaz, he looks lost, right? You know, he had first and third with one out there last night, and and the non-competitive at bats. Just when you're late on heaters and you're you're missing breaking stuff so f- much. I, I just don't think you you can – now, again, it gets back to that. Do you want to put both catchers in the game at the same time? Mm-hmm. So one gets hurt, then what? It's But me, I'm putting my best lineup. Give my best chance to take the lead so I can go home, and at least I got two chances to get this done. Now, yeah. will they do that? Yeah. I, I don't know, but I would. I, li- I like I, – I just think you got to put your best lineup out there. And let's be honest with you, their lineup right now is not – always hard to get out you don't have to make a great pitch to get them out a lot of the times they're getting themselves out now they obviously had their big inning last night because they had sometimes you got to have luck they had the right guy coming up at the right time and Bregman who's you know had some really really good at bats and he's a tough out and and Guriel who hasn't punched out in 47 at bats the playoffs which is a feat in itself so you're having the right guys up so you got lucky there but me yeah I want to add some link to that I want to make it you know put more pressure on Rob Thompson to have to make some moves to get the top of my order out because the bottom of my order is getting on base. Makes sense. Yeah. No, to me, it's about at, at this stage of the year as well, Kevin, it's about having competitive at bats. And I just don't think you can afford to send a lead Ms. Diaz out there and essentially give away an out. And, and that's, that's what it looks like. That's what it look. It looks like they're doing right now. Yes. I understand there is a gamble when you put both catchers in the game, but, Man, I'm with you. I think at this point, series is tied two games apiece. You started to see a little bit from your offense last night. I I'm I think you go with Christian Vasquez and and well, it may get back know, to it, to how much does Dusty like Al, uh, Alvarez DHing? It, it, that's yeah. sort of that's yeah. sort of the thing is do you want him playing left or you don't want him DHing? It is is it about putting your best lineup or is it getting one of your better hitters more comfortable than not? Well, uh, it wasn't the fir- it wasn't the first time that uh, the uh, fans at Citizens Bank Ball- Ballpark or Citizens Bank Park have seen a postseason no hitter. Uh, October six, two thousand and ten, Roy Halladay, the late Roy Halladay, 
no hit the Cincinnati Reds for nothing in the first game uh, of the NLDS. And a couple of things about that game. The Reds were the National League's best offensive team that season. Uh, Halliday had a perfect game. It would have been a second perfect game other than a two-out walk to Jay Bruce, in, Jay Bruce in the fifth inning. It was one of three, three-and-two counts he had in the game. Through 104 pitches, 79 strikes. He was actually more economical in the no-hitter than his perfect game. Struck out eight, including Scott Rowland three times. Five of the eight strikeouts were swinging. Only four balls were hit to the outfield. And perhaps the most amazing stat of the 28 batters Halliday faced, he threw a first-pitch strike to 25. Charlie Manuel is a senior advisor to the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. He was Roy Halliday's manager. Of course, he's also a World Series winning manager, and we're very pleased to be joined by Charlie Manuel. Charlie, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. We hope that you're keeping well. Um, I thought about you watching that game last night, and Dusty had a comment after the game about he was in the Reds' dugout, and he said, I looked up in the seventh inning. I figured it was the second inning because the game had gone so fast. (laughs) But no, it was the seventh inning. What's it like to be in that position when when your guy is working on that type of a game? Yeah, well, first of all, like when Roy's game against Cincinnati, you know, like uh, that was a real close game too, a very close game. But at, uh, Roy that night, he had all of his pitches going. The, the perfect game he threw down there against Miami was, uh, you know, like he mostly started the game throwing fastballs and, if you go back and look, he threw a lot of fastballs through six innings. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, uh, I mean, he had a good velocity that day and everything. And uh, and he started throwing uh, more uh, all-speed stuff, long body, anywhere from a five, fifth to the to the ninth inning. And, uh, you know, like, in, but in the Cincinnati game, he had all of his pitches working. He had his sinker going, his change up, you know, like, and he had his cut cutter, fastball, you know, like all, he used all of his pitches. And he pitched a beautiful game that night against Cincinnati, and they were they were a big hitting team. And I agree with Dusty on one thing: it seemed like that the game definitely went fast. And you look up, and all of a sudden we're in the sixth and seventh inning, and Holiday's got a no hitter. And that's when in our dugout we started thinking about it. You know, like uh, uh, of course throwing a no hitter. Charlie, I got mad respect for you because you're a hitting guru. You've been around a lot of really yeah. good hitters. You you know what's going on, right? If you're facing the, if your team is facing a guy like Christian Javier, who's got the invisible, who's got the sneaky hater, right? That's the word. You you're facing him. He throws ninety three right by you. You're scratching your head. Is there a certain approach that you can combat that with? Is it top hand? Is it starting it early? What would be your your message to a lineup to face a guy like that? Yeah, I would say I would say against uh, that's the first time I seen him pitch live last night, and his ninety is ninety three, ninety four, ninety five fastball definitely got a lot of I call it bore. It's got a lot of a, a quick movement to it, and it and it looks like it sneaks up on the hitter. And you know, like his, last night, uh, actually he started the game last night. I felt like if you go back and look, he threw a lot of uh, sliders and change-ups, but he, he threw some fastballs the first three or four innings, but then all of a sudden when he got up up around uh, by the third inning and the second time around, uh, he more or less you know, just opened up and started throwing a lot of fastballs. He started doubling up on his fastball, and he had a good one. I mean, he, he, he was putting it where he wanted it. He threw high in the strike zone uh, when he got ahead in the count, 
and he actually he pitched a tremendous game. His stuff looked uh, really uh, – all of his ball pitches were moving, and he had command of his pitches, and uh, uh, he pitched an old hitter. And he also, too, he took the crowd out of the game real early and things like that. And, you know, like uh, I hear people talk about where, where we our fans wasn't as loud and all that stuff. No, 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 no. He just kept us from hit, getting the hits. And, you know, like uh, the beauty of a crowd is, you know, like uh, they like action. And when a guy posing teams uh, is shutting you out and stuff like that or throwing a no-hitter, you know, like there's nothing going on in the game. And and actually he commanded the game, you know, like all the way through. But then also, too, when they got to the sixth inning, from the sixth inning on, their relievers were uh, – they did just as good a job. They struck out five of the last nine hitters. And it, it, it was it, – I mean, it was a, it was a tremendous uh, art of pitching last night for the Astros. Charlie, how hard is it in game to not try and overswing against a guy like that? You know, it's ninety three. You're thinking, man, I yeah. should be, I should be hammering that thing, and you tend to overswing. Right. How hard is it not to overswing and just be short and quick to the ball? That, that right there, I, I call that control, self control, controlling your adrenaline, and uh, and and actually, uh, if you do that, more or less, uh, let him supply the power, especially with his fastball. And just try to barrel him up, and you know, like, and be uh, short and quick to him, and uh, more or less, just take kind of what he gives you. Don't don't be trying to to really pull that guy because his ball his balls moves, and 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 you uh, it's enough for you just to you know, like, stay stay uh, strong on your backside and let your hands uh, and the barrel of bat work through the ball. And uh, that right there is how you get to the velocity. And uh, last night we were swinging hard. And and as you know, you know, like that's when you adrenaline, you got an adrenaline rush, and you think you have to go out and get the ball and things like that. But no, that's not the way you do it. You uh, you, you keep you cool and and you look for pitches, you know, like that you can hit, and you put the ball in play more. And uh, but the the fact that how he pitched last night, like I said, first time I've seen him pitch, he was very good last night. Charlie, how would you compare this Phillies team to the 2008 World Series team? I think it. Uh, uh, they got. Uh, we have power on our team, and uh, I think it. Uh, our offense at times, like last night, uh, uh, we had 14 strikeouts. And if you go back and look, we're better off. Basically, we have our big games a lot when we're putting the ball in play and, and actually strike out less. But you you got to contribute. Last night's game definitely to the pitcher. And our offense can be really big, especially in our yard, because of our power. And uh, but at the same time, uh, we play baseball from a, a since Robbie Thompson actually took over. You know, like we we definitely play a better, relaxed game of baseball. And you know, like we have fun playing and we play hard. And uh, and and uh, so far, that's worked for us. I think when uh, if you listen to what Grabowski says about our team, uh, he's more inclined with my way of thinking about offense. You know, like uh, you know, like we we figured, uh, or Dave Dabowski figured that if, if if he went out and got Swarber, Castellanos to go Harper and, and Hoskins and some of those guys in our lineup, that we would have a more potent offense, and that definitely has worked for us. And uh, I think we got enough pitching to win. Uh, although I do agree that the Astros pitching staff is deeper than ours. It's pretty much your team was like that as well, weren't they? Though in two thousand eight, and that you guys, I, I remember covering that World Series. You guys had all that the issues with the weather and everything uh, in in Philadelphia, but you guys kept your cool. You had a bunch of you had a bunch of 
just real hard-ass guys in that team, but she also had a lot right. of fun, didn't you? It was a really relaxed yeah. group, as I remember. I want to tell you something. We used to have a lot of fun, and we didn't at any time uh, – Kevin and I had two rules, hustle and be on time. If you did something I didn't like, I corrected you. And uh, <laughs> and it was that simple. But at the same time, I didn't never have any – uh, you know, I keep nobody. Had, I never had a doghouse, things like that. Our players got along for about five or six years, about as good as any team I've ever been around. And, and but not only that, we love to play and we like to play right. And I can attribute a lot of that, especially to our fans, because even back in those days, we were having crowds like uh, playoff baseball every night. So you know, like, that made it a lot of fun. Charlie, you're 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 in the clubhouse tonight with the Phillies. You're having a conversation about how to attack Verlander. You've heard Van Verlander come out and say that something's not working. He's obviously not going to tell you what it is. He's been working on that. You know, it is sometimes right. as simple as see ball hit ball. Is would that be the right. approach, or is it a different approach against a guy like that? I think that we. Uh, I think over in uh, Houston the other day when I was watching the game. Uh, you know, like uh, we took what he gave us, you know, like in the first couple of innings, he was really good. And then all of a sudden it actually kind of looked like, you know, like he, uh, that he's, he, he kind of lost his command for a while and he, and he was going to his breaking ball a lot and he was leaving it up in the strike zone. And, you know, like that one inning, we uh, actually, his problem was we put together one inning like they did on NOLA last night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't never take Verlander lightly because he's very capable of going out there and, uh, throwing a no-hitter or a shutout, too. Really, I mean, he's that good. I mean, I, I, I listen, listen to what they say about his numbers in the World Series, and, I, and I've respected him all of his whole career. And believe me, on, uh, uh, he's definitely capable of beating any team in baseball. And, and basically what we've got to do tonight, we've got to go out there, stay on the ball, and uh, try to uh, uh, attack him just like we did over in uh, Houston and put the ball in play more, take what he gives us, and things like that, and, and you know, like, and if, and if our guy can, uh, if Syndergaard can go uh, three or four or five innings for us, we will be okay. Charlie, listen, it was really good of you to join us today. Thanks yeah. so much. Terrific to talk to you. Glad you're doing well, and uh, we yeah. shall see you down the road, my friend. Be well. Awesome stuff. Yeah, thank you. Good fine. luck. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Take care. That's Charlie Manuel. And uh, that that Phillies team, 2008, uh, that was the year that uh, they had the horrible weather in Philadelphia, and they had to join the, the the final game. They basically had to play the past the the last couple of innings. But man, that Phillies team just they just had a bunch of dudes. They really did. They were a, they were they were a fun team to watch. They were a fun team to be around, and uh, a lot of people were really happy when Charlie Manuel got his. Got yeah, yeah, Char- Charlie, I don't know if you know this, but when I played for the Phillies, Charlie was the roving hitting instructor in the minor leagues, and he would come around and you would always ask Char- you would always ask Charlie, hey, you know, what's the best approach? And he'd always have the same answer, swing hard in case you hit it. <laughs> and I never will I never will forget it. I never will forget him saying that to you, but it makes a little sense, right? It's sometimes you just got to simplify it so much that it just makes it sort of fun, is you're trying to get your mm-hmm. pitch and you swing hard in case you hit it. And I always liked Charlie. Char- Charlie was very simple. It was He's not going to try and overwhelm you with all this information. It is stay within yourself, get your pitch, drive down and through it, stay through the baseball, try and beat the guy to the spot. If you can do those things because you're talented 
that's why you're in the big leagues. You're going to have success. And I've always liked Charlie. It's it's a it's a great conversation. Obviously, you know he loves to talk hitting, and he's he's very good at it. Jim Tomey raves about Charlie. Just about he, he basically made him a Hall of Famer. But he's a he's a very cool dude. He's he's a he's polarizing. You want to oh oh here comes Charlie. Let's let everybody run over and see what he's got to say because he's always got something fun to say, and he's cool to talk to. Yeah, I uh, he, he's. Hey, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but for a visiting reporter or a visiting broadcaster, you I mean, there's some guys you always see, and there's some guys you always talk to. Like you go out to the ballpark, Jim Leland's there. You're going to talk to Jim Leland. Jim Leland will be there doing some scouting. Same thing. Scar- Charlie was doing a little bit of scouting for a while. He's kind of a roving guy. You'd always see him at spring training. You'd always go over and talk to him. And he's one of those guys, Kevin, you'd come away learning something. You, you, you really would. Yep. And I love what he said talking about Roy Halladay, comparing that perfect game that he pitched in, in Miami to the no-hitter and how it was a different game. Mm-hmm. Right? How Roy used all his pitches in, 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 the, in the no-hitter, which might explain why he was a little more economical in uh, that game. But that was, I mean, Roy Halladay, his final final inning took seven pitches to get mm-hmm. to his final inning in a no-hitter. Now, it was the bottom of the order, but if you remember the last play of that game was kind of that squibber down first sure. base, and Carlos Ruiz picked up the ball Choo-choo. and threw from his knees. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, it was, a, great, uh, it was a great moment. And um, it's got to be something else to be in a postseason game and you're watching your dude pitch a, a no-hitter, and, and especially now, Kevin. Like, what's going through Dusty's mind? Because you know, I, I should have asked Charlie, what would have happened if you went out to Roy Halladay, the, the seventh inning of his no-hitter, and said, Roy, nice job, give me the ball. Yes, that was. <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked. Well, 97 pitches with three pit, three innings left. That's a lot of innings left with, that with is, almost yeah. 100 pitches left. So you're, and what did you're Dusty think- say? His maximum was 115 he'd throw in this year or something you're, like that? Well, so. you're thinking about game seven. I mean, you you, you know Correct. how Verlander's yes. looked and McCullers Jr. Yes. has looked. You may need that dude for two or three innings. And no, that's you a great to, point. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've been the first guy to come on here and say things about Dusty that I don't want to say because you make me say them most of the time. But I think he handled it perfect, right? You get him through six innings, you turn it over to three no-brainers. You win that game and you come back today and hopefully yep. you can do the exact same thing. So. That's you know yeah that's that's how you wanted to do you want some no brainers if you're a manager yep. this time of the year and he got one yesterday. Jeff Passan is ML is uh, ESPN's MLB insider, one of our regulars. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dusty, there's been uh, three no-hitters in the postseason history, and you've been in the dugout for for two of them. Uh, What do you think of that, and what do you remember of 2010 and Roy Halladay and uh, being on the other end of that result? Oh, yeah, I was on the other end in this ballpark. I mean, that's what's strange about life. And I, I remember being on the other end of that. It was the seventh inning, and it seemed like it was the second inning. And I looked up on the board in the seventh inning already, and like, you know, then you're trying not to be no hit, and then you're trying to win the ball game. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's 
That's, that's pretty remarkable. I've been on, on both ends and here for two out of three. It was Dusty Baker speaking after the Astros 5-0 win last night. Over the Philadelphia Phillies, game five goes tonight. The series is, of course, tied at two games apiece. It'll be Noah Syndergaard for the Phillies and the pitcher formerly known as Justin Verlander. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And Justin Verlander on the mound for the, that's That's a real jackass thing to say. And, and Justin I'm Verlander used to hearing on the it from mound. You. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Justin Verlander on the mound for the Astros. Our next guest is a big fan of combined no-hitters. Jeff Passan of ESPN joins us. You Who love some combined no-hitters, don't you? <laughs> I, you know, I, I look at it this way. I feel like a combined no-hitter is an impressive thing. Um, it's it's hard to get through a single inning if you're a pitcher without giving up a hit. Um, but it's not special to me like the way a no-hitter is. A no-hitter is, first off, it's a complete game, which, as you guys know, we quite rarely see these days. And it's a single guy bearing the burden of recording 27 outs without giving up a hit. And that's, that's just an incredibly difficult thing to do. And we saw that last night with, with Christian Javier. I think if Christian Javier was more efficient with his pitches, then he actually had the kind of stuff that could be carried through to the end. Um, but he had 97 pitches in the, sixth inning and Dusty Baker said to himself, boy, oh boy, we might have ourselves a game seven coming up, boys and girls. Uh, I, I don't want to burn my best pitcher. And it, it it's wild to me that Christian Javier is the game four starter for the Houston Astros when mm. you could argue either him or Framber Valdez uh, are their best pitcher right now. But um, I, I, I enjoyed – I know I kind of make fun of combined no-hitters and call them the boneless wings of no-hitters. <laughs> I love boneless wings. No. You like boneless wings? I do. The other ones are messy. I'm a neat freak. Yeah. So so, so hold on a second. Um, so you like chicken nuggets? I do, yes. Oh, God. Okay. Then call them chicken nuggets because that's what they are. They're not wings. They're, they're, they're an inferior substitute to a superior product. Depends on where you're buying from. By, you've been fooled, Kevin, by marketers who want to call them wings. Not wings. Nuggets. I like my meat parts to look like meat parts. Jeez. Thank you. I mean, I just do. I don't want stuff processed, right? It's like chicken balls. Chickens don't have balls. I don't want chicken balls. <laughs> I want wings. That What's didn't sound right. But you know what I mean. What? You okay, know what I, I mean. I have to, well, it sounds like it. I, I, I want to ask you about a, a, a question about the managers, but I'm trying to ask it to, to, in a way that I can be nice to Dusty. So I'm going to I'm going to ask it this way. No, 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 no. We don't do nice on this show. Just ask we have to. We have to because I love Dusty. So so we have to. I do, and we, I do. No, no, I do too. Everyone loves Dusty, but he's not beyond criticism. 
He's not. He's not. But I, I do want to – I'm going to ask it to you this way because I, I want you to, to sort of answer this about both managers. Coming into tonight, who do you think has the easier managerial job of, of handling their pitching staff coming into game five? Easier. Uh, see, that's a really that's a really interesting question because I think the obvious answer is Rob Thompson, right? Rob yeah. Thompson is is starting Noah Syndergaard. We have no idea what sort of performance he's going to get from him. And then it's going to be mixing and matching with a bullpen that is almost entirely rested. You know, he, he threw Jose Alvarado for an inning yesterday, and it was a pretty disastrous inning at that. Um, but Sir Anthony Dominguez hasn't thrown in five, five days. So you've got him for two innings. You might have Zach Eflin for a couple of innings. Certainly so no going to have Alvarado. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're, he, he's going to have to take guys and mix and match them and put them in the right pockets and all that. But I'm not discounting what Dusty Baker has to do tonight because Dusty Baker may be given a choice. And that choice might be, do I treat Justin Verlander like just a guy and not the first ballot Hall of Famer he is? Mm-hmm. And so, to, to me, the, tonight, it, listen, if Justin Verlander shoves tonight, uh, then Dusty Baker has it on the easy street. But if he does not, then... This could be like a referendum game for Dusty Baker because he kept Verlander in too long in game one. He kept McCullers in too long in game three. Um, Like, there's there's a pattern here. And when you have only three games left, this is a three-game series now, and when you have only three games left in the World Series, you have to manage with a sense of urgency that may not be normal or comfortable for you meets the moment. And we're going to see if Dusty Baker meets the moment tonight. If you were Dusty Baker, and I understand that people don't like playing, having two catchers in the game, but would you think about putting Christian Vasquez Vasquez in the lineup tonight as your DH? Uh, Eduardo Perez on SportsCenter last night said the exact same thing. And considering that you have gotten nothing from Trey Mancini, you've gotten nothing from Aledmus Diaz, you've gotten nothing from David Hensley in the DH spot, and and Christian Vasquez puts together good professional at-bats and puts the ball in play, I think there's absolutely an argument to put him in. Um, the, the only fear at that point is that Martin Maldonado gets uh, injured, you got to move Vasquez over, and then you burn your DH. But uh, he's going to be doing so much potentially with his bullpen um, that you can just pinch hit in that spot if you need yep. to because he's got enough yep. relievers to do so. So to me, the risk in putting Christian Vasquez in there is well worth the potential reward that you reap from doing so. There was a, a a graphic during the game last night that, and look, I admit that I, I haven't done a deep dive into how the Houston Astros develop pitchers, but this this kind of intrigued me, Jeff. They've got guys that they have signed uh, out of the Dominican mm-hmm. or out of Venezuela at the age of 18, 19. There may have been a 20-year-old tossed in there. I, I don't know, but I mean, 21. they're not. From Bravo, 
21. Right. So they're not we're not talking guys that they signed at the age of 14 and had them lie, you know, lie about their age in order to, in order to get them signed. What is it about them that allows them or that that has seen them have that type of success with these guys? I, I think this goes back to the Astros philosophy that Jeff Luna brought in when he was there. And for the nefarious things that happened under Jeff Luna's watch, you can't discount the the ethos that he brought to the Astros, which is that this is a game full of inefficiencies and we're going to hunt them, we're going to exploit them, and we're going to reap the benefits from them. And, and what I mean by that is this is a screwed up way that baseball approaches things in Latin America, which is that if we don't sign you when you're 16 years old, um, you're essentially not worthwhile to us. It's, it's a ridiculous conceit that most of baseball operates under. And I, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a picture with pirates named Luis Ortiz, who's 23 or 24 now and made his debut this year. And I don't think he signed until he was like 20. And the, the circumstances under which he signed, all these kids who are being signed at 16 years old, they're actually, you know, a lot of them are agreeing to deals at 14 and 15. And they go to these little showcases for clubs where they'll bring in pitchers. You know, they'll have five, 10, uh, 14 or 15 year old kids show up. And then they'll have just this litany of arms come in and throw live batting practice to them. And Ortiz at 19 or 20 years old was blowing away these top prospects. And all of a sudden the pirates are like, uh, maybe we should sign this guy instead of the really expensive kid. And he, I think he started off in low A this year and wound up in the big leagues. So you, you have these guys because we, we don't mature on uh, on a linear line. Like that's not how progress in baseball works. The the notion that you are at twenty twenty one twenty two what you were at sixteen it, it's a, it's ridiculous. Like there are late bloomers, and I think too many late bloomers down in Latin America get passed over because of preconceived notions about their worth. And Jeff Luno looked at it with Christian Javier, who signed on the cusp of his 18th birthday with Farmer Valdez, who signed at 21 with Luis Garcia, who signed late. All these guys who weren't these big-time prospects at 16 years old, he looked at them and said, not only are these guys worth something, but we can acquire them at a much cheaper rate. I think the number for um, Valdez, Javier, Garcia, Brian Abreu, um, and there's one more guy in there. Uh, there are five pitchers uh, on on the World Series roster. It was $180,000 to side. And and you see one guy, one good pitcher every class, getting two to three million dollars. So the the efficiency of the Astros under Jeff Luno it will forever be known as yeah we're so efficient because we bang on trash cans. Like that's the thing, but. In addition to the cheating, alongside the cheating, they did some things way better than every other organization. 
Jeff, do you think this World Series has changed any fans' minds about the feelings they feel about the organization of the Astros? Nope, I do not. And I'm, I'm curious if and when that's going to happen. Because let's remember, there are five guys there left from that team. Yuli Gurriel at first base, Jose Altuve at second base, Alex Bregman at third base, Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers on the mound. And uh, Altuve, I think Altuve is probably going to be in Houston for his entire career. It wouldn't shock me if Bregman is. Gurriel's getting toward the end of his career. And and by the way, have, have you guys noticed what Yuli Gurriel's done this postseason? I just want to sort of shout this Doesn't out strike out to the side. Yeah, Doesn't, liter- literally has not struck out. Approaching mm-hmm. fifty at bats right now, and it. Uh, you know, I had I had not known this in Yuli Gurriel's final uh, season with in Industriales in Cuba. He had 220 plate appearances and struck out three times. Like this is this is not something new or novel. It dates back to to the days of his prime years back in Cuba. Um, but I, I think once those guys are all gone five, ten years down the road, maybe at that mm-hmm. point people will look at the Astros differently because they won't have cheater to yell at anyone. But even then, this is the sort of thing that lingers, sort of thing that stains a franchise. And so, no, I, I don't think opinions really have changed. Um, to me, like the way I'm looking at this series is we have a chance to have an all-timer series if we have close games in these last three games. You know, that first game, the comeback from the, the 5 nothing deficit against Verlander and extra innings win for, for Philadelphia. The second game, a, a shutout, an incredible performance by Valdez. Third game, uh, a shutout, a, or close to a shutout, but the, the five-homer uh, performance by, by the Phillies, which was absurd. The fourth game, a combined no-hitter, like, they haven't all been close, but they've all been interesting. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you about the Astros. I kind of think that it's – I think it comes down to Jose Altuve for reasons I have yet to figure out. I know George Springer gets booed when he goes on the road, and he gets booed at Yankee Stadium sure. and places like that. But since Springer's left, since Correa's left, it, it seems as if there has been kind of a diminishing of the anger towards them. Bregman, I don't know. I mean, Alec Bregman stunk yeah. in the postseason when they were banging in the trash cans. Uh, yeah, Yuli Bregman, let, me, let me tell you, I've been in all but I think two of the Astros games this postseason. They, Bregman wears it hard, man. Like, Bregman does. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll – but, but – I don't think I think it's going to stay Altuve, until Altuve, they Altuve all leave. The, Altuve gets yeah, Altuve gets the brunt of it, I right. think, which is which is not fair. Um, and, and I understand nothing about this situation is fair to suggest that the Houston Astros the warrant fairness is, is laughable to some people. But if you you know if you know about the scandal. And, and don't just get caught up in the rhetoric or in the rumors or anything like that. Altuve was not using the trash can. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that was just a performance-based thing as opposed to a morality issue. Maybe it's just because he, he was not comfortable 
knowing what was there that it affected him as a hitter. But nonetheless, he didn't use it. And right. I don't know. To me, that that has to that has to count for something. Yeah. No. I, I. It's listen. I think it's really complicated, and I think where the debate gets even more complicated is when it rolls around to Hall of Fame time, because he's, you know, that yeah. that's when it that's when it comes back. But I, I mean, I kind of Clearly. equate it to steroids in a way. In that, Jeff, I think if you've made your peace with it, you've made your peace with it. If you haven't, you're never going to. That's just it. We move on. I, I think that's. Yeah, the way I'm, I'm with you. I, and and listen, me personally, I made my peace with it, and yep. and it it comes it comes down to this for me. You can acknowledge that the Houston Astros cheated, and that what they did was egregious, and that compared to the Yankees and the Red Sox and the other teams that were trying to steal signs, what the other teams did were were misdemeanors, and what the Astros did was a felony. Like that, that's the way that I look at it. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive from appreciating the Astros now for what they are, which is a very well-run organization that has a lot of talented players, including ones who cheated. Mr. Passon, we're going to let you run. Uh, I think you're right. I think hopefully these final three games are close because it really has been a terrific World Series. And, I mean, it's been baseball 2022. So lots of strikeouts, some home runs, and uh, combined no hitter. What more could you want? <laughs> uh, uh, we're about to we're about to find out tonight. Where we got yep. I mean, if we want to get if we want to get really twenty twenty two, Jeff, we got a bullpen game in the World Series tonight. That's yep. coming up. Thanks, my friend. Be well. See you later. Have fun, See you boys. Yes, sir. That's Jeff Passan, ESPN's MLB. The only reason I asked that question, I just. I just wondered if it would have been a grind. If they win this thing in seven and they sort of earned it, the Astros, would you? Would that change your mind? I mean, my mind, like I said, I'm completely at peace with the Houston Astros and, and what they did. I think they're... Always I, be I cheaters, Jeff. <laughs> ah, I don't know. I don't know. As I said, to me, it's very much like steroids. You either make your peace with it right away and, and move on or you let it fester. And God, Life's too short, man, to worry about to worry about stuff that happened that happened a long time ago. Ah, boom. I'd they feel, maybe it. I'd feel, listen, listen, I'd feel different. I admit, I'd probably feel different if I played during the steroid era or if I was on the Yankees or the Dodgers, I'd feel different. That's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow, 11 noon Eastern. Don't forget, if you're listening to us via podcast, please review, rate, give Barker a five-star rating. He certainly deserves it. We'll talk to you tomorrow.